What kinds of things do you all want to know more about? This is episode 50 of the Bible Reset Podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Goodwin here with Paul Kemnitty and Glenn Powell. We're so glad to be recording our 50th episode today, and of course, thankful for all of our listeners who have made the Bible Reset successful. I was just looking at our statistics yesterday, and I was kind of shocked to see that it's actually been downloaded uh, in over 140 different countries. People have listened to the show. Uh, We recently found out that it's part of this curated list of Bible podcasts available in the YouVersion Bible app. So just been really fun to see the growth. And again, we're just thankful to all of our listeners who have listened and subscribed and and shared the podcast with their friends. Yeah, this has been uh, an interesting initiative for us and one that actually began during COVID. We were all sitting at home anyhow. And yeah. uh, I, I forget uh, who it was that, that brought this to our attention, but like one third of all people in North America listen somewhat religiously to podcasts. Yep. And, you know, I don't know how that compares to people who do like in-depth reading, but I'm guessing there's more podcast huh. listeners today and maybe more people listening to podcasts than, you know, watching normal television, you know, eliminate Netflix from the equation. Right. So I mean, we're an action-oriented think tank. We, uh, we, we don't exist to sit around and think deep thoughts. We're trying to change some things. Um, our, our very mantra is changing the way the world reads the Bible. And at some point we said, if we're going to be serious about that, and here is this opportunity, uh, what some people have called the great equalizer podcasts, and it's available Mm -hmm. for us to do. So it took some work. Um, but, uh, I think we've been very pleased at, uh, the impact and the way that people have responded, including all of you who are listening today. I mean. If, if you're just speaking into the ether, then it doesn't make any sense. But you listen, and we're honored by that, and we, uh, we really appreciate it. You guys have very high and lofty goals. It was COVID. I, for me, I was just lonely and wanted to talk to somebody. That's, that's all <laughs> right. I was up to. Might as well record it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, so, yeah, to celebrate episode 50, over the last couple of weeks, we invited listeners to send in questions about anything that we covered over the first 49 episodes um, on the show and, you know, questions about our work at the Institute for Bible Reading or even just general questions about the Bible. So uh, we've got a few here that we're going to go through today. Uh, We weren't able to get all of the questions that were submitted into the show, but we've got a few here today. And uh, so let's let's go ahead and just jump right in. Right. So the first question here is from William, who writes, This may delve more into personal opinion than biblical examples, but I wanted to get someone's opinion on the existence of other gods in the Old Testament. Often we see Yahweh counter or silence these other gods, but does that imply that these other beings were real? Are they still real, but God has implanted an age of silence from them all? Were the non-Israelites worshiping stones that wouldn't move, or did these beings actually act? Hmm. It's really interesting. I think um, that whole topic can be a little bit um, strange, right? You're reading in the First Testament, especially, and you come across this phrase, gods. And, you know, there's one stream in the First Testament that is 
look, the idols aren't real. They're not real. They're not real gods, right? There's only one true God in, in the cosmos and that's Yahweh. Mm -hmm. So these other things, whatever they are, can't compete with him. But then there's this other stream that says, look, there are dark spiritual beings, fallen powers, if you will, that the First Testament names. And then this gets carried over into the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament language for these gods, these powers, actually comes from the Greek translation of the First Testament from the Septuagint. So I think it's a continuing reality. And in fact, both testaments take their existence seriously. Um, mm. So set aside for a moment this idea that the idols are not real. I mean, I think there's something there about um, there's no competitors to Yahweh as the one true God, the only God that has power over all things in the universe. But there are dark spiritual powers, and they go by various names. And I think that's one of the things that throws us a little bit, is they're not consistently named throughout the whole Bible. Their names kind of change as to what they're referred to, but they are taken seriously, and they clearly have an effect on the way things work in the world. I mean, we did some episodes last year on the powers, and I would refer our listeners to those episodes about how this kind of all works out. But, you know, the heavenly council, the, the hosts of heaven, the gods, the sons of God, princes of the nations, unclean spirits. Now we're getting kind of into the New Testament, demons, um, beasts that rise out of the sea, powers, principalities, thrones, dominions, authorities. These are all words that the Bible uses to refer to actual fallen spiritual powers. And I think, as we mentioned in our program, that this is actually not taken seriously enough by many Christians as a way of understanding the world and the victory of Christ uh, in reclaiming the world for God is confronting the powers and their work in the world. So yeah, great question. Um, I think we need to take it seriously. It's not a systematic theology, but the references are clear, and their influence is definitely to be taken seriously. The, uh, the two episodes on the powers are episodes 35 and 36. So if you haven't listened to those, you can go yep. back and listen to them. Certainly, William, we should be a people who are woke, <laughs> and I'm going to use that <laughs> phrase in the New Testament <laughs> sense. Paul says, Paul says, don't be asleep, asleep don't yeah. be naive, don't be ignorant. And so, yeah, we, we can't sleep through the idea that we live mm. uh, on a planet that is being heavily influenced by powers that are uh, are invisible to us and any kind of successful living, uh, especially on the kingdom side of things, has to take these powers into account. Yep. All right. So this next question is from Anonymous, who writes, how would you respond to those who would remark that the Immerse Book Club approach in Dynamic may foster a pooling, quote unquote, pooling of ignorance? To what extent and in what manner does the Immerse format offer scholarly insight beyond the rather individual slash experiential questions of what do you think or how did this make you make you feel? Could you define your primary target audience and how that intersects with the Immerse study trajectory? So 
Real quick, I'm not going to take for granted that all of our listeners know what Immerse is or have any idea about our Immerse Bible or Immerse Bible reading experience. So, uh, Paul, do you want to just give a quick rundown of what that is? Yeah. Um, first of all, the, the title is Immerse, the Bible reading experience. And oftentimes we just use the shorthand of that. It, it uh, gets reduced to Immerse, but I think would be important for us to emphasize that there are really kind of two components to this thing that we have put into the world. And um, it, it is a new product. It is a new Bible. It is, in a sense, a new genre of Bible. So we created the Immerse Bible in six volumes, and it is distinctly in what is a relatively new category that we would call a reading Bible, that it is designed first and foremost before you do anything else to uh, to read this Bible. But then, as the title also suggests, it's a, a new experience, and the new experience is a communal experience. Uh, we are advocating strongly that we move from uh, Bible reading as a solo sport to something that normatively becomes reading communally and there's a number of ways in which that can uh, that can be expressed so there it is there's a short description um immersebible.com is a place where you can you can certainly learn more but uh, to our anonymous uh, questioner it's a great question and it's it's really a question that we get asked a lot uh, we get asked this from pastors for example when we go and talk to them about implementing Immerse at their church, and they may sometimes respond by saying, wow, so you're, we're going to get eight people together. Nobody in that group is an experienced you know, Bible study leader, and we're going to read, and then we're just going to have this, this open, open uh, discussion. And so uh, there are other people then that have been asking that, uh, that same question. Um, and so guys, let's, let's unpack that because we, we have some responses, you know, to that. Um, and I, I would get us started by simply saying that once you start getting into the, our, our immersed Bible, you will see that there are hermeneutical tools that are there and we've tried to place them strategically within the text so that they don't disrupt the text. Glenn, you were largely responsible for some of these. Talk to us a little bit about um, the hermeneutical tools that are embedded in Immerse. Yeah, well, at the very beginning, I mean, we have certain commitments here that have come out, I think, over time on the Bible Reset podcast. And one is, you know, the Bible is a collection of individual books. So you need to be able to understand books on their own terms. And that means what kind of writing are they? How do I read appropriately that kind of writing? I mean, there's lots of different literary genres in the Bible, and that's it's a big deal for understanding. You can't read it all the same. So we have that help in the introductions to the books. And then at the book level, we have, you know, we spent four years going through the Bible, kind of book by book, and figuring out the natural literary sections or parts of each of those books. So that you know, chapter divisions, which don't always line up with those appropriate literary breaks, we have sections that are marked with a simple design feature 
So you can tell if it's a small level break, if it's a major break, one of the you know main sections of the whole book and so forth. So you just get this simple, clean, easy to understand kind of format that already gets you down the road to reading better. And I think it's worth mentioning just at this point, look, um, we know the research. We know that most people are not reading their Bible. Even people who use their Bible outside of church, by and large, are not readers. They're users of the Bible in some kind of more minimalistic way. So we'd have to say the category of people, even within the church, who are Bible readers is a very small number. So I think the first thing to say in answer to this question is, it's a huge win to just get people reading the Bible, many of whom who are in immersed groups have never read it before. They're, they're encountering parts of the Bible they've never seen. So that's already, to me, a huge win. And then at the, at the front of the immersed volumes, we have this kind of like, here's how the story of the Bible works and what it is. And I think it's a really important thing that you know, whatever part of the Bible you're reading on a particular day, you know where you are in the story. So you know what's already happened, you know where the story's going, at least in broad outline. And I just, again, I'd say it's a huge win if we can get more Christians kind of operating with a mental framework of the major acts of the biblical story and how the story works together, how it leads to Jesus, how Jesus conditions things. So it's not just a matter of one person sitting alone, doing their own thing, and then you get a few people together and they're pooling their ignorance. I think the Immerse volume, as clean and simple as it is, really does have tangible help to get people into a better Bible reading experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's a massive shift for people to start to Mm -hmm. read big, I think is one of the terms that we use. And, you know, if we wanted to be snarky about it, I think, you know, we might say something like, you know, reading verses is not reading the right. Bible. Uh, <laughs> it, it any more than, you know, reading Shakespeare quotes is the same as reading exactly. Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of folks that, um, you know, read, read individual verses or even, even, you know, a well-known chapter here and there. And are we're, we're advocating you know for something that's that's very different from that and when uh, a person reads a whole book simply reads a whole book you have in and of that experience had a contextual experience and then if you're reading you know in the immersed bible the fact that we have taken the books uh and put them in a a better historic order um, now you're actually reading, and whether you recognize it or not, you are beginning to form within your mind the framework of a yep. story, yeah, like you would read <laughs> any other novel. And as you do that, and as you read a whole book, you you do enter, you know, somewhat naturally into the age of antiquity. You begin to realize we're not in <laughs> Kansas anymore, and we we begin to realize that we are part of this story that is unlike any other story. And then, um, you know, the spirit is at work at the same time. And so, you know, when whenever we ask these open-ended questions, and we do, you know, what is it that stood out to you this week? Was there anything troubling or confusing? Those questions are not asked in a vacuum. They're, they're asked within the framework of this read big experience. Yeah. The other thing I think we shouldn't disparage 
like what happens in a group, even in a, a small group of people who don't necessarily have like formal Bible training or experience or that sort of thing. Look, the fact is you're already doing better. The fact that you're reading outside of your own personal perspective and filters, right? Even if with your, you're with other people who aren't Bible scholars, people will see things differently and they'll notice things in the text that you didn't notice. So again, it's, it's a significant upgrade from reading alone to reading with somebody, especially if you can get with people who are a little different from you, different age group, different kind of life experiences. They will see things, not that they feel differently about everything. It's that they see things in the text that you don't see because you're kind of like it, me or anybody. Like we're looking for things that kind of relate to, to me and my experience. And just being with other people immediately makes it a richer experience. Yeah, and you know, uh, just a, a real quick pitch here to um, any pastors that might be listening. Uh, know that our dream scenario is that th these kinds of readings would take place within the context of the church, mm. and that there would be like a new partnership that would develop between you and the pew, <laughs> and mm -hmm. that as these groups are meeting and as these questions surface, that uh, they would make their way to your office and that you might address these things, you know, in sermons, that you might actually preach um, through the same reading plan that people are using. And this, this by the way, is, is not something that's just a dream scenario. This is happening in churches and um, the experience that people are having, you know, with the Bible, frankly, are unparalleled, and that's what they share with us. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things I love most about Immerse is that it just opens the door for people into the Bible. It gets them curious about things that they had no idea were in the Bible, and they would have never encountered if they hadn't read through the whole thing in community, had some of these questions surface. And so in a lot of cases, it's kind of a jumping off point for people to do deeper investigation into the Bible and use a lot of the really good resources that are out there and available. Um, but if they don't go through this experience, then that curiosity doesn't ever kind of get ignited to start looking deeper into scripture. Mm, so yeah, hopefully that was a helpful answer to, uh, to that series of questions. And uh, we're going to move on here to the next question from Audra, who wrote a pretty lengthy question, which I'll go ahead and try to kind of summarize here. Basically, she wants to know about how to read the Bible when you have either little or no guidance on how to read it well, and nobody in your community who you feel can help provide answers. So Audra kind of likens it to having all the ingredients in place for making cookies, no, but no actual recipe that shows you what to do with them. So she has a Bible, people she knows have Bibles, but none of them have ever really learned what to do with them, how to read them well, um, that sort of thing. So what'd you guys say to that? It's interesting. Yeah. And it's a really good question. I mean, we know again, from the research, a lot of people struggle with the Bible and, and what to do with it, um, how to use it, how to read it. Right. It's not an easy book. And I think that, first of all, it's just worth mentioning the church does a disservice to their people 
if they try to make it sound like, look, if you're a good person, you'll just read it and you'll love it. Right. It's the best book ever. It, you've, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. And then people. <laughs> it's, yeah, a, it's an I'm acquired saying, taste. Look, it's right, a strange man? book. Yeah. Right. It's unusual. <laughs> it's not like any other thing they read. They're not. Most people aren't going around reading ancient Assyrian and Babylonian like religious stories, right? It's, this is from a different time and place. So I think we'd do better to just be honest about the challenge that the Bible actually is. But then on the other side, I would say, look, um, again, you don't have to become a Bible expert or a Bible scholar, but just having some basic things like in your head, like getting those straight makes a huge difference. Like understanding that all the books come together to tell a story. So if you're attuned to that, you're kind of looking for when you're reading how the story is progressing. Where is this story going and what's what's happening in the big picture? Um, getting the basic helps that Immerse provides for what kind of book is this, right? And 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 understanding where you are in the story what kind of book this is, what this book is trying to do as an addition to the developing story. And, and then you, if you're in a group with other people and you're reading big for the first time in your life, again, I say it's not like having a bunch of ingredients without a recipe. You have the makings of a, of a much better Bible experience if, if, you, if you just take advantage of the simple things that are in the Immersed Bible, which we should mention, the clear reading experience, that it's actually a reader's Bible with generous margins and easy-to-read type and more white space and single column makes it more like a real reading experience, not like looking at a reference book. So I would say there's some simple things that get people way down the road to doing what we know most people don't do, and that's like read the Bible and have some kind of gain from it, some kind of good experience and growth in their spiritual life. And the thing is, like, we're not just making this up. We've had thousands of people do immerse, and we hear amazing reports back, right? I mean, what they say is over the top about how rich this experience is. So people are actually doing it. And I have to say, I mean, they love it. Uh, Audra, uh, I would say too, that I love that analogy that you used. And I'm and I'm hoping that you'll allow us to use that in our presentations and that you won't sue us for it if it <laughs> begins to crop up somewhere. But it, it is. It's, to, you know, having a list of ingredients is not the same thing as a recipe. I mean, if you're making lasagna, <laughs> you have a list of ingredients. And, you know, first of all, somebody's got to make the sauce, right? Unless you're you know, using ragu or, right. you know, says, says the Italian, says the Italian yeah, I, guy. Right. Yeah, I, I'm my, my nationality is going to come out <laughs> vehemently in this. So you've got to make the sauce. Yeah. And so there's the making of the sauce, but then you have all of these layers, right? And you can't just do it in any way, shape that, that you want to. Otherwise you're going to have um, a stew and, and not <laughs> lasagna. And so, I mean, really, when you think about it, and we, we kind of do this every year, um, we'll take a look at, uh, at the beginning of the year, all the different sites that give people hints or tips about how to read the Bible that year. And they, they all have to do with, you know, find a reading plan, uh, find a quiet place, uh, pray before you read, 
um, all of these things that that have to do with you know kind of the setting, but really don't have to do with with the heart of the issue. And so, uh, again, as Glenn you know articulated so well at the beginning, we're reading a book that comes out of antiquity. Um, you know, when Paul gives what seems to be kind of cryptic instructions for women in the church, he's dressing an issue tied directly to a time and a place. And if we don't learn to read the Bible, you know, in that in that regard, um, then it, it will be um, a most challenging and frustrating experience. Yeah, and I would just add one thing. I'm not sure, Audra, where you live in the world and what kind of access you have to some of these resources. But I'm amazed every day at just mm. increasingly more and more how many mm. really good Bible resources there are out there that are in, in many cases yep. free, like the Bible Project videos, Bible Project podcast is free. You can, you know, get access to uh, theologians all have podcasts now, kind of Bible scholars, theologians have podcasts where they go through, um, you know, some of what, what they've uncovered and, and written about in some of their more scholarly work. And it's all just out there and available. Um, I would say the biggest challenge at this point is like kind of curating the right stuff and the best stuff. Um, and that's one of the things as we were discussing this question prior to recording, we were saying we need to be at the Institute better about being kind of a curation source for some of the best resources around reading the Bible. Well, we've got, we've got a recommended, a recommended reading page on our website, but we were just talking about what if we built that out to a recommended resources page with podcasts and videos and you know if you're going to get a study bible get one of these study bibles to help you better understand the background context etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm, yep. so there's there's lots of good resources out there if you don't have somebody in your immediate community that can sit down next to you and kind of teach you how to read the bible there's a lot of really good stuff out there um, it's just a matter of of finding it so all right so the next question is from tina who asks, how can audio Bible producers be encouraged to release an audio Bible without chapter divisions? So for our listeners who aren't as familiar with audio Bibles, just a little bit of background context, pretty much all of them, to my knowledge at least, rely on the traditional chapter division system as a way to break up the audio files. So, you know, if you didn't have the chapters in there, you'd, you'd have one audio file for an entire book. And that just doesn't really work when you have like a four hour long book like Jeremiah, for example. So really, Tina's question, I think, is a structural one of how do you segment books more naturally without falling back into just kind of an arbitrary numbered chapter system? Mm, so good. Go, Tina. I love this because it just kind of highlights, I think, how in the mm -hmm. era of the modern Bible, We've just defaulted to chapters and verses in so many things related to the Bible, like audio Bibles, but also reading plans. I mean, everything we do with the Bible, we assume, has to go through the filter of chapter and verse. And it just would be lovely in a revelation to see us break that hold of chapter and verse on the Bible, because they're, of course, not natural. Um, they, they weren't there at the beginning, and they're oftentimes misplaced. And so it would be amazing to have an audio Bible that followed the natural literary breaks of the books. 
which is possible to do. But the thing is, I mean, it takes real work. Somebody would have to go book by book. I mean, the thing about chapters that makes it so appealing is like everybody has them. Their reference Bibles all have the same chapter numbers, so they know where they are. They're all about roughly the same length. So it's just an easy default for a Bible publisher to have an audio Bible with chapter divisions. But it would be so cool to say, look, here's the natural structure of every single book of the Bible. Um, and then here's the smaller sections. Come up with names for those sections besides chapter, because they weren't named chapters. And I think when you're talking about different mm -hmm. kinds of books, like here's the next song in the book of Psalms, right? You could name things differently according to what kind of book it is. Here's the next story in the gospel of Jesus um, and so forth. Then I think you'd have a much better and more accurate and authentic Bible listening experience. And we just need, we just need some publishers to step up and say, we're going to invest in the work. We're going to come up with new sections that are natural and intended by the original authors and editors of the Bible. And we're going to name them something that fits the kind of book that it is. That, that would be something new. I've never seen that in the Bible world. And it would match what we've done in the Bible print world with Immerse. Yeah, I mean, and we should, uh, we should unashamedly give a plug for our Immerse audio Bible. So for those mm -hmm. of you that own uh, volumes of your Immerse paper print and binding Bible, if you go to the Immerse.com website, you will find um, under every resource, resource page that uh, we created an audio Bible, the entire Bible. It has um, uh, male and female voices. It has some diversity in it, and it has professional readers, and it's done super well. And so we would encourage you to do it. And it's free, by the way. It's uh, This doesn't cost anything. And we, we arranged it so that you can actually download it onto your device so that if you're listening and you're on the subway underground, you can still you can still listen. And you know, I think we might say as well that it's important as we think of the history of the Bible to know that for most of its history, the Bible was done in an oral culture. So even if you're not mm -hmm. an oral, you know, learner, maybe if you learn better by reading, it would still be a good exercise occasionally um, to listen to uh, to the Bible being read. And again, we recommend that if you listen, listen to a whole book. And, um, you know, most of them can be yep. listened to within a half hour period. Yeah. So all of those are available on immersebible.com. And if you want to listen to the New Testament, for example, you would go to immersebible.com slash Messiah or, you know, whatever corresponding print book the, uh, the audio goes with, you would uh, go to that specific page. And we're, we're kind of halfway there, I guess I would say, in creating the Immerse <laughs> yeah. uh, audio version because we, we've created one without any chapters and verses. And I think we do have like pauses in the, in the audio when there's a major section break, that sort of thing. But we structured it around the eight or 16 week reading plans rather than necessarily mm. the natural divisions yeah. of the books. And so uh, so we would have to do some extra work on our end to, like you said, Glenn, go book by book and say, OK, Matthew's gospel has five sections. You know, yep. we've, we've already gotten rid of 
the narrator saying chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, et cetera. But what do we call those five sections? Exactly. Um, yeah. And how do we yeah label them and, and that sort of thing? So so we're partway there, but it would be so fun to see more chapter and verse free audio Bibles that uh, the people could just engage with in a more holistic way. Mm. Great question. All right. So our last question here is from William, a different William from the first question, who writes, huge fan. I love what you all are doing. Is there anything in the works towards Immerse being bound in a single volume hardcover? I would love that. Also, are there any plans to create regional IFBR conferences or speaking events? Finally, when will you be booking N.T. Wright for an interview <laughs> on the podcast? All joking aside, he would be a great addition to an already stellar library of podcasts. Thanks again for all you do. Let's keep helping people read the Bible. Well, thank you, William. Yeah. So appreciate your, your affirmation for our work. Um, in regard to a single volume hardcover, um, we, we agree. We think that would be a great mm -hmm. addition to the portfolio of, uh, of Immerse. And uh, as I think most of you know, in the world of publishing, there's usually two entities. There's something like the author, and then you have the publisher. And in this situation, we're kind of the authors, right? I mean, we uh, yeah. um, there, there's a higher power that was involved, but we we were involved in somewhat of the structuring and what have you. And so we we have, frankly have uh, made that request to our partner, um, our publishing partner, who is Tyndale, and uh, they're they're not opposed to that, and uh, and they like the idea. And so, you know, if you want to ring their bell, if, uh, you know, if you want to like really protest that you don't have one, I mean, we can send the address of Tyndale in our notes and you could, you know, make placards and banners and you could apply march pressure. outside and, and yeah, uh, go pick know, it outside. To yeah. Apply, yeah. <laughs> apply, apply pressure. But I, I must say, the, on the other hand, there is something mm. about the six volumes that is important to us. And, uh, you know, it, it, it somewhat um, makes the statement, even though it isn't a deliberate statement, that the Bible never has been a single volume, right? It's a collection. It's a library. And when you have those six volumes, yeah, um, that's nice. it makes a statement. Uh, I think uh, you also wondered when we were doing conferences too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He asked a question about conferences and speaking events. And um, so just so you know. If you go onto our website, uh, there is a place where, uh, uh, as a church or as a denomination or as a regional group, you would like to have us come and speak. You know that we would uh, we would love to do something like that, and so we're we're available. We're guests all the time on other people's uh, podcasts, and we we do get invited. To, uh, to speak at different events. Um, I just returned from Scotland uh, where I had an invitation from an organization called Transforming Scotland where I was able to go and, um, and speak. And so we are, we're doing that kind of thing and uh, we would love to get mm. an invitation from you. Yeah, just stepping back to the, uh, the piece about Immerse, we did just find out a few weeks ago that it was both nominated and won the uh, ECPA, which is the Evangelical Christian Publishing Association, uh, Gold Medallion Award for 2022 Bible of the Year. 
which was a total shock to us. Like it was mm-hmm. up against some really good qualified Bibles. Um, but it showed me at least that this new kind of format, this new concept of the Bible is is breaking into the culture and kind of making waves in the Bible culture. And so my hope is that uh, Immerse and uh, reading Bibles like it continue to gain ground and gain traction. And with that um, comes different iterations of that idea in a single column or a single volume version, in a hardcover version, et cetera, et cetera. There are some publishing complexities with getting... um, getting all of that content into a manageable single volume, you probably have to get thinner paper and that sort of thing. But uh, we, we've heard from multiple people that they would love to take Immerse to church. It's just hard to carry all six volumes uh, <laughs> under their arm into the sanctuary. So um, we would love to see, see this continue gaining popularity and gaining traction. And, uh, and with that, new versions of it coming out. All right. So the last part here about uh, N.T. Wright on the podcast. What do you think, Glenn? <laughs> that would be a blast. And actually. Um, he knows about us and we obviously know about him and we had a chance in Grand Rapids, uh, a while back to actually have him over to the home of, uh, Scott Bolander, who's currently our chairman of the board at the time. He was our executive director and we had breakfast with Tom Wright and, uh, he's as delightful in person as he is when you hear or, or see him um, delivering content. He's just an amazing person. And I love it when you get people like that who are real Bible scholars and obviously tremendously intelligent. He's doing groundbreaking work and has been for years now, but, but he's a great guy. He's a, he's a down to earth person and um, somebody that is really good to be with. So um, we haven't had him on the podcast yet. And, and he's obviously a busy man. He's got, he's got lots of commitments, but We've had contact with him, and uh, he knows about us a bit. And I would say um, it's definitely something we can explore for the future. It would be so great. I mean, in many ways, uh, for my part, I feel like he's been my teacher. And at least half the time, I'm just channeling N.T. Wright stuff, because I think he's just a tremendous scholar and has been a gift to the church Mm -hmm. in the work that he's done uh, over his career. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for our questions. Thank, thank you guys, Paul and Glenn, and thank you to everyone who wrote in with questions. Of course, you know, this was kind of a, a special celebration episode where we answered questions here on the podcast, but listeners are always welcome to send questions through our website contact form. Uh, I'll leave a link to the description down below if, you've, if you'd like to get in touch. We're, we're super available. And again, thank you to all of you who have listened and subscribed to the show, told your friends about what we're doing. Like we said at the beginning, we launched this show close to two years ago in the middle of COVID. We were all probably kind of bored and lonely and didn't, didn't quite know what would happen with the Bible Reset. And uh, in the last 12 months, it's grown in, in listenership by like 900%. So it's just so fun to be interacting with you all around these questions and these issues and uh, just seeing how it's a helpful resource for you as you try to learn how to read and live the Bible well. If you'd like to continue helping more people find out about the Bible Reset podcast, uh, you can leave a rating or a review in the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, the show is brought to you by Changemakers, our community of donors who give monthly gifts of any amount to help us create resources that change the way people read the Bible. 
If you appreciate this podcast and you'd like to support our work, you can learn more at institutebiblereading.org slash changemakers. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.